Good morning, everybody, and welcome to The Well at STSA. We're happy that you're joining us here today. We are wrapping up the fourth part in a series called Confronting Conflict. And if you're just kind of tuning in here today and you want to get caught up with the rest of the series, you can always go on our website or download our app, and you can check out all the parts of the series that you missed. But basically what we're talking about here in a nutshell, we're talking about relationships, and we're talking about how to win and be successful at the most important thing in life, which is relationships with one another. And why do I say it's the most important thing in life? Because you know and I know that when relationships are good, quality of life is good, and when relationships are low, quality of life is poor. It's the greatest determination of your satisfaction in life. And we always say that, and just the other day, someone sent me a TED Talk okay, where this guy was talking about this incredible study. It's called What Makes Us Happy and Healthy. And it was a 75-year study, okay, done by Harvard, which basically they took 724 young boys and men back 75 years ago, and they studied them over the course of their lives and what it is that really leads to happiness and satisfaction in life. And they didn't just ask them, are you happy or not happy? But what they would do is they would test them like they would do, they'd send them in for a physical and do like test their help. They would talk to their wives and talk to their children and just evaluate their happiness and satisfaction in so many different elements of life. And the conclusion of that study, all right, I'll read you a direct quote from what the guy said. In the beginning, when they asked the people, what is it that you think will make you happy? Everyone said the two most common things were rich and famous. I want to be rich. I want to be famous. If I have riches and I have fame, these will make me happy. But after the, uh, the after 75 years of studying these people's lives, the guy said this, he said, good relationships, good relationships keep us happier and healthier than anything else, period. And that's what we know to be true. Because when things are great at work, but a disaster at home, you're not happy. And when things are a little troublesome at work, but you got peace at home, then you can survive and you can get through that because it's relationships that keep us going in life. Scripture tells us the same thing, just in a different way. Proverbs 17, 1, better is a dry morsel with quietness than a house full of feasting with strife. Better a dry morsel, small plate, give me a crackers and cheese, but a house of peace versus a big fancy banquet table, but all kinds of dramas and problems in the home. And you know that and I know that and we don't need to give any more examples about that. Now the question for us that we've been discussing in this series is, if relationships are the most important thing in this world, how is it that you be successful at relationships? What skills and what qualities are needed for us to be successful at this most important thing called relationships? Well, what I believe, and I've been saying this over and over, it's how you deal with conflict. Because any relationship, it is inevitable that at some point in time, there'll be a misunderstanding. There'll be feelings that are hurt. There'll be someone who says something insulting or offensive. There'll be some kind of problem or difference of opinion. And it's how you handle that conflict that will ultimately determine your ability to win at relationships. And we all know great relationships that didn't make it because of conflict mishandled, be it in a marriage, be it father-son, be it at work, a great career derailed, a great partnership derailed because the two didn't know how to handle conflict with one another. And that's what we're trying to avoid here in this series. And what we have seen is that when it matters most, if you remember, we talked about this in the, first, in the second week. When it matters most, when it comes to our ability to reason and discuss, 
when it matters most, we are at our worst. Because once that adrenaline gets pumping inside of us, all right, the muscles get strong, the legs get strong, the arms get strong, the brain gets dumb. That's physiologically proven that once that adrenaline gets going and the emotions get going, then our decision-making ability decreases and takes a step down. So we are literally dumber when it matters most. When we need to be smarter, when the conflict is going, we are actually dumber. And that's why we are doing in this series is coming up with a plan because I'm not going to rely on my nature when I am offended or when I feel misunderstood or when I feel attacked because usually what happens when I feel attacked my instinct takes over. And by instinct, each one of us is either a fight or a flight. That's how we by, by nature. And some of us are fighters. And I feel attacked and I don't ask questions. I shoot first, ask questions second. And I just start boom, boom, boom. I feel you insulting me. I start insulting you. I feel you are invading, encroaching on my territory. So boom, I'm back in your face. And these are the kind of people that push people away, push people away. The aggressive people that push people away. The opposite of aggressive is the passive aggressive, is the flighters, all right? The aggressive people, they push you away and they explode on you. The passive aggressive is the flight people who say, okay, that's how you are. And I just naturally pull away. And you have no idea what you've done to offend me. But this relationship just ended. At least it, offend, it ended at a depth level. I may still say hi and bye and I may still call and ask about, but the depth, just that intimacy, boom, that's gone. And I just retreat further and further and further. And you don't have the faintest idea. So by nature, we're not good. Fighting is not good. Flighting is not good. What we need is a third option, and that option is facing conflict or confronting conflict, which is what we are talking about here in this series. Quick recap. Week one, we talked about refusing the fool's choice. This kind of set the overall idea of what it is we're trying to do when we confront conflict. The fool's choice, if you remember, we often think that we have to choose between being loving and being honest. We have to choose between mercy and truth, and that's only the fool who thinks that's the choice. That is not true. That's what we think. Either I have to tell this person the truth and then lose them as a friend, or I keep them as a friend, but I keep the truth within me, and I don't really tell them, and I just kind of take another one for the team. So we kind of make this fool's choice. We said, that's false. We don't need to do that. What we need to do is refuse that, and we need to, our paradigm in our mind is the pool of shared meaning. Remember we talked about that? That the more meaning we put into this pool, and we welcome other people's information in this pool, the more we'll be able to resolve this conflict. Grandma makes the nasty pie. She needs to know, I love you, Grandma, but your pie tastes like my shoelace. Okay? I need both of those pieces of information to be in there. Because if I just say that I don't like the pie, she's going to feel offended. But if I just say I like the pie to try to keep the relationship, then I have to eat this nasty pie every time I come over here, and I'm just bitter and resentful, and I avoid Grandma. She needs to know, I love you, no pie. That was week one. Week two, we talked about starting with the heart. And we talked about me first, we second. Me first, we second. That before I approach you to increase the pool of shared meaning, and before I approach you to talk about anything, I got to first evaluate myself. And am I in the right position, the right state of heart to be able to confront? What's the right state of heart mean? It means that what is my goal and my motivation for even discussing this with you. Am I trying to win? Just trying to win? I'm trying to defend myself? Am I trying to hurt you? Is that why I'm confronting you? Or is my goal to resolve this issue? And it's not about I win or you win. And it's not about causing, you know, defending myself or anything like that or clearing my name. It's about the pool of shared meaning together. Set our goal and we become laser focused on that. 
goal is to resolve the conflict, not to deal with these extraneous things. Third week, we talked about mastering our stories. And our stories are what we tell ourselves after an action has taken place. And believe it or not, the reason you feel so passionately or so angry or so upset or so hurt or so whatever is not because of what the person did to you. It's because of the story you told yourself after what the person did. For example, you are not angry that your husband came home late from work. You are angry because the story in your head is he came home late because he cares more about work than he cares about me. Your friend's comment is not what made you so upset because other friends have made the same comment. What made you so upset is your friend's comment. You you took that to mean that they are self-centered and they only care about themselves and they're arrogant. That's how you, that's the story that you told yourself right there. Example that we talked about before. It's not your mom cleaning your house that upsets you. It's that you think that your mom is telling you that you're no good as a wife. And that's why you're upset when your mom does that. Our stories are what lead to our emotions. And that's what we talked about in week three, mastering our stories. If you struggle with emotions, go back and listen to the third message. Because if you do not learn how to master your stories, I'm telling you, we go headfirst into conflict all the time and we got no shot of, of winning at this. We got no shot of resolving it because the stories that we tell ourselves. And if you walk into that conflict with a story that you are convinced about and it's not even the other person doesn't even know the story, you got no shot of, of, winning this, of winning in this situation right here of confronting conflict the right way. That's what we've gone so far. Last step in the confronting conflict is the part that you thought we were going to talk about from the beginning is now we get to open our mouths. And what we're going to talk about today, the title of our message here today is State Your Path. Everything to this point has been the legwork or the preparation of the soil or laying the foundation upon which we will now speak. So, but first, we can't just run in there. Like if you notice, all right, four steps right here. Only the last one is the speaking part of it. We think, how do we resolve conflict? I need to say this, I need to do this. That's the last part. And if you don't do the preparation work, you're never going to win. Think of it from a perspective of like a war. How much time do you actually spend in combat in the war compared to how much time you spend in preparation for the combat? The actual combat is little. You spend probably at least a 10 to 1 ratio. You spend days, you spend weeks, you spend months planning a combat that's going to take place in minutes, a matter of minutes to be over and done with. Why? Because we realize that when we're in the combat, it's not the time to think. It's not the time to prepare. We got to go in there with a strategy. Think the same thing when it comes to sports. All right, you got an hour-long football game, 60 minutes of football, that people spend weeks and weeks and weeks strategizing over every little nuance because when in the middle of the action is not the time to think, only the time to react. And maybe for us, maybe one of the reasons why we stink at conflict is we spend too much time, or sorry, too little time in the preparation and we just start running off and start firing bullets all around. We don't know where we're going. And maybe we would avoid a lot of casualties if we spend more time in the strategy room and less time in the field. All right, and that's what we're talking about here. And the Bible says the same thing, Proverbs 21, verse 23. Whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. Simple. Whoever guards his mouth, whoever is in control of this thing, Scripture tells us in the New Testament that the tongue is a small little guy, but man, it sets the world on fire. And wars have started because of the mouth. And, 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 and people have gone to great lengths to try to control this mouth, but the one who guards it keeps himself from trouble. 
James chapter 1, verse 19. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That's kind of the context of our message here today. We talked about the legwork. Now we're going to talk about how to face the conflict. I've examined my heart. My motive is pure. I am not telling myself any stories, or at least I've identified the stories that I've told myself, and now I'm ready to kind of face them and kind of address this with the other person that I'm in conflict with. How do I approach, with a truth and love, kind of a mindset, refusing the fool's choice, how do I approach the delicate, volatile, touchy situations of life? The ones that you go in knowing that this conversation could have real repercussions in my family, in my marriage, for my career, how do we approach those conversations? What I'm saying is, we're not talking about how we're going to debate with our friends which episode of Star Wars was the best one. It's not those kind of conversations we're talking about. We're talking about the conversations of, I have to go to my friend and explain to him the reason why he wasn't invited to that event is because his attitude rubs everyone in the group the wrong way. And I want to explain that to him. And I want to show that because I love him. How do I do that? I want to tell my husband or my wife that I don't trust them, that I have lots of doubts about what they're doing when they're not around. How do I approach that tough, touchy subject? How do I approach at work? How do I go to someone? Many people here are in management positions. How do I approach someone who works for me and explain to them that I love them, but their work is below where it needs to be when we've established this friendship? These situations in life, the touchy ones, the delicate ones, I think there's kind of three options or three degrees. There's bad, good, and best. So the bad way to approach these conversations is, like I said, the fool's choice, which is either I just go truth and I just offend the other person and I do everything in the name of I'm just a direct person. And let me just be blunt because I need to be blunt. And then I hammer them in the head with, with a bluntness, okay? And that's kind of the one option. And then the other option is I just say, you know what? Just grin and bear it, suck it up, avoid it, kind of take another one for the team, and I just grow more and more bitter on the inside. That's the bad way. The good way, or I should say better, because it's really not good, is kind of tell sort of the truth, but not really all the truth, which is kind of the sugar-coated truth. And we kind of like hint at it, but then as soon as we say it, we apologize for it and say, well, you know, I think this, but I know it's not this, and I know it's not true. And we kind of sugarcoat it because we want to make it as soft as possible. That's better. But what we want to get to is where I can speak the entire truth, entire truth, in fullness of love. Is that possible? I believe it's possible. And that was our theme verse. Speaking the truth in love, Ephesians 4.15, we may grow up into all things who into him who is the head, who is Christ. We're going to talk about that today. We're going to learn some skills and a technique. But before we do that, a story. Once upon a time, there was a boy named Bob and a girl named Carol. Carol and Bob had been married for about two years, and they lived a very nice, happy life. One day, Bob came home from work, and he saw his beautiful bride, Carol, and she didn't look right. And he could tell as soon as he walked in, she had been crying. She had the <laughs> eyes a little puffy. And she wouldn't look at him when he walked in the door. So he says, is everything okay, Carol? 
And of course, she responded with the standard answer, which is, what does every wife say when she's upset? Everything is fine. But the eyes that she looked at him with when she said fine didn't say fine. The eyes said, how could you? What Bob is about to learn, he didn't know yet. Carol thinks Bob is cheating on her, Car which he's not, okay? This is a church story. He's not, okay? <laughs> but in Carol's mind, he is because Carol was going through the credit card bill and she found a transaction that Bob put on his credit card for a motel, a cheap little Motel 6 or whatever it is, right down the street. And in her mind, why in the world would he need a motel room right down the street? And if he did need a motel room, why wouldn't he have told me about it? So in her mind, there was only one logical explanation, which is that jerk. How do you expect Carol to handle this conversation. What is going to happen next? He didn't cheat on her. But what do you expect her to do next? Who thinks she's going to handle this great? What's going to happen most likely, most likely, is Carol's going to follow the same path most of us would follow. First thing she's going to do is jump to conclusions. And she's already made up her mind that he has done this. And he's trying to cover it up. Then she's going to start to make accusations. Then she's going to probably get a little bit insulting and say some things that she probably later would regret. And Bob is going to respond how? By being defensive and denying. And that's only going to further the, that jerk mentality in her mind. And then she's going to threaten to leave. Then he's going to say, you don't have to leave because I'm out of here myself. And he's going to storm out. And that is only going to further in her mind, where is he going? Probably back to the motel to be with the girl that I don't know who she is. And this situation goes downhill real fast. Now, again, he's not guilty. If he was guilty, yes, that's the appropriate response, okay? If he was guilty, but he's not. It's not like she has any real evidence or proof of anything. Like she just has a credit card receipt. So my question to you, is there a way that we can avoid this disastrous situation which is about to take place? Or is it inevitable that the second she found the receipt, there's no other choice? I believe there is a better way. We're going to talk about that right now. The better way is based on what I'm going to call the five skills and two twos. Today during the liturgy, we read the gospel of the five loaves and two fish. Okay, So I'm going five loaves and two twos. Or five uh, skills and two twos. Twos means attitudes, but I want it to be one syllable like loaves. Five fish, two or five loaves, two fish. I want to be one syllable. Okay, so five skills and two toots. The five skills and two attitudes that we need to approach that Carol needs to approach this conversation that Bob needs, that you need with your coworkers, that you need with your children. The five skills and two attitudes, and we're gonna see that it's kind of like a package together. You got to have them all. It's not one or the other. It's I need to have a bed of these skills, and then I start putting. I'm sorry, of these attitudes, and then I put these skills in them. So the skills kind of override, I'm sorry, the attitudes override the whole situation, and then I put the skills inside them. Let's start with the attitudes. What attitude do I need to approach a delicate, critical conversation? I would say I need two things. One might surprise you, one won't. I need the perfect combination of confidence plus humility. Confidence 
plus humility. Humility, you probably guessed confidence probably coming out of left field for you. I need the confidence to speak what is on my mind. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. But I need the humility to listen to everything that's on your mind. Because remember, the only way this is solved is I put everything into this pool of shared meaning and you put everything from your head into this pool. And once we see it all together, everything will be clear because we're on the same team and we're all trying to accomplish the same thing right here. So I need the confidence. I need the confidence, the guts to speak the truth and know that if I'm thinking it and I'm feeling it, that I have a right to say it and that my opinion deserves to be heard and that no one has the right to tell me don't tell me your opinion. My opinion deserves to be heard. Thing is, most of us, when it comes to speaking our opinion, we have the guts to speak, but we don't have the guts to speak to the right person. We speak to everyone except the person. We don't speak to our boss. We speak about our boss. And we need the guts to go speak to our boss and be honest and say, you know what? This is my opinion, but my opinion deserves to be heard. And I trust that, you know what? that I don't have to choose the truth or the relationship, that I can have the truth and the relationship, that if I'm Carol, I don't say, you know what, just ignore it and just because I don't want to lose him. But I also don't say, just speak the truth and throw the dirt bag out and put his clothes on the front lawn before he even comes home, that I have to agree, understand, confidence, speak the truth. But I need the humility to keep myself from being arrogant, the humility not just to speak all of my truth, but to understand that I don't know all the truth. Humility says, I don't have a monopoly on truth. That I have a piece of the truth and I have the confidence to speak it, but you have a piece of the truth and I have the humility to shut my mouth and listen to what you have to say. <clears throat> if Carol wants to know the truth and gets to the bottom of this situation, the only way that she's going to be able to do so is to dump out everything inside her, but then to make a safe environment for him to bring back everything that's inside him. Jesus said it this way, okay? Not exactly the same words, but similar concept. That we need to be wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. And the two are not contradictory to one another. Humility is not contradictory to confidence. As, as being a serpent somehow is not contradictory to being a dove, okay? That's what we need to do right here. Confidence plus humility. Okay, those are the two attitudes. What are the steps that I take right now? So in the context of confidence, speaking the truth, humility, letting the other person speak the truth, and being open to listening to what they have to say. Five steps follow the acronym STATE. Okay, state your path. Number one, number one, start with the facts. Start with the facts. Start with the facts. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Right now, Carol, in her mind, is ready to start throwing things at the guy, at Bob. Ready to start cursing him, insulting him, and saying all kinds of bad stuff about him. How did she get to that place? That's the action. But why is she doing this action, throwing pot at his head? Well, because she feels betrayed and cheated on. Okay, where'd that feeling of betrayal come from? It came from the story that he is having an affair. Where did that affair story come from? It came from a receipt. Which of these steps right here is a fact? Is it a fact that 
Okay, I shouldn't say it's feeling betrayed. Is that a fact? It's a feeling. The story that he's having an affair, is that a fact? Maybe, but we don't really know. What we know is a fact was the first thing, was that we have a receipt. So that's where we're going to start. We're going to start with the observation. We're going to start with the one thing that we know to be true, and we are going to change the rest of the route because I can't change facts. I can't change facts, but I can change what happens after the facts. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back to the fact, the credit card receipt, and I'm going to say, is it possible that what came after that, my story, my feeling, my action, is it possible that any of those are not true? Is it possible that, is there other plausible stories that could happen here? Yes. There's other stories. Like, again, she didn't have a picture of him with another girl. She's got a receipt. So what she's going to do, what we are going to do, is we are going to slow ourselves down, go back to what we know to be true, and we're going to start from there. Proverbs 29, verse 20. Do you see a man hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. I know that what I'm saying, start with the facts, remove the emotions, remove the stories. It's not easy when that adrenaline gets pumping. I totally understand that. But I'm telling you that if you are hasty in your words and if you have not separated fact from story and feeling, if you have not separated the two, you are not ready for that critical conversation. You're not. If Carol jumps into this conversation before she has separated what she knows to be true versus what she thinks to be true, she's going to make a disaster of this situation. Can you separate the fact of you're 20 minutes late from the conclusion of I can never rely on you? I can never rely on you is not a fact. That's a conclusion. Truth, fact, you're 20 minutes late. Fact is you missed my birthday. The conclusion is, you'll never be a good friend to me. The fact, you fell asleep during Father Anthony's sermon. The conclusion, you are from the dark side itself. Okay. We need the humility, humility to know that not everything that I believe has to necessarily be true. Start with the facts. Okay, what do I do after I start with the facts? Number two, tell your story. Tell your story. Starting with the facts, I found this receipt. Now tell the other person the progression of events that took place after you found the receipt to get out what's in your mind. Show the person how you went from receipt to throwing clothes on the front lawn. Let the person experience what you went through. So what Carol would say is I found this receipt and as soon as I saw it, I started to think this and then it led me to think this, and then I remembered this, and that's how I felt this, and that's why your clothes are on the front lawn. It's not the facts on their own that justify the feeling or the action. You have to help the person see how this fact led to this action, what story you're telling yourself. Give them that information. Imagine a boss at work, thinks one of his coworkers is stealing software from the company. So he wants to approach this boss, but he just says, says facts. He doesn't help the person see the story. So he tells him just facts only. He tells him fact. I notice you have company software in your briefcase. The employee says, yeah, it's really great. It's very nice software. Boss says, this particular software is proprietary. Employee says, of course, 
because there's all kinds of hooligans out there that might try to steal it. The boss says, my understanding is that it shouldn't go home with anyone. So the employee says, of course, that's how the hooligans would steal, by taking it home in their briefcase. The fact needs to be connected to the story, which is, I believe I saw this, and after I saw this, it led me to think, one, two, three, four, five, and what happens after that? This part is not easy, and this part may get a little tense, and this part may be a little bit offensive, but it shouldn't be offensive. Why? Because what is your story based on? Like, what is, everything you're saying is, you're speaking confidence and humility, but saying, I have this fact, and based on this fact, this is what I thought, this is what I thought, this is what I thought, but I'm not, I'm coming to ask you, not coming to tell you. And that actually leads us to the third step in the process, which is after I tell my story, I ask for his story. I ask the other person for the truth. I ask the person for their path. Because I'm confident to express my story, but then I'm humble to ask for their story. And I have the humility to be willing to revise my story based on what you tell me from your side, from your perspective. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 13. He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. If you allow me to take a little bit of freedom here and make some conclusions or generalizations, this is what we lack today in the world. We lack this in the world today. We lack this in the world somehow with our uber-connected world that we live in. We think that automatically we know everything. And we think, no, this must be true. How you know that to be true? No, I know it's true, Father Anthony. How you know it's true? Because I saw it on Facebook. So therefore, it must be true. We automatically assume that what's in our mind, what we saw on Facebook, what we heard from our friend, we automatically assume that we know the whole story and that we know the full explanation. Confidence, give me, I'm going to speak my story. But humility, let me give you a chance to say your story and be willing to revise my story in accordance with yours. Step forward, talk tentatively. Talk tentatively. This is kind of like the, the if the first three were like the what to do, the third, fourth one and the fifth one are like the how to do it. Talk tentatively. Talk tentatively means you say things like, you know, I was wondering why. I mean, you say things like, perhaps you may not have realized it. I mean, you say things like, I know I might be wrong on this one, but it kind of appears that. You need to tell your story in confidence, but tell it as a story and not as a fact. And not say that I know this to be true. Like, we don't say, the fact is, we say, this is what I see. We don't say that everybody knows that. We say that this happened and this happened and this happened. In fact, I believe that if you truly, if these tough situations like Carol's situation, not only do you speak tentatively, but you speak in such a way that you want your story to be wrong. You want your story to be wrong. And you are telling your story not to prove it to be right, but in fact so that the other person can then disprove your story and give you the truth. Okay? Now, one of the things about this talking tentatively, why is this so important? Because one of the ironies of conversation and dialogue, and everyone knows this to be true, you know this from your own experience. 
the more forceful I am when I approach you, the less likely you are to be receptive to what I'm saying. The more I come at you forcefully, and I know exactly and leave no room for any other interpretation or any other path, the more you are going to shut me off. And in fact, the opposite. It seems like it should be the opposite, but it, it isn't. That when I come to you tentatively and say, this is what I'm feeling, but help me out with this one. Not saying it in a, again, not in an apologetic way. I'm not apologizing for how I'm feeling. I'm not doing it in a wimpy kind of a way, like the difference between tentative and wimpy. I'm saying, this is what I'm seeing, but help me out right here. That tentative approach is much more likely to get you actually heard by the person that's in front of you. Talk tentatively. Last one, and then I'll show you how this works out with Carol and Bob. Establish a safe environment. Establish a safe environment. Make it safe for the other person to share their story. You shared yours. Now make it safe. And why I say this is because some of us who are very confident and able to share our stories usually end up marrying people who are the exact opposite, who have difficulty sharing their story. I don't know why it is that way. I know why it is that way, so they stay married, probably, all right? But what I'm saying is, if you are the stronger of the two in the relationship, either in the friendship or at work, if you're the boss, especially if you're the boss, okay, if you're the boss, you have to make it, if you're the leader, so that your employee feels comfortable to talk to you. If you're the stronger, it doesn't need to be male or female. It doesn't need, not always the husband is the stronger or the wife. Sometimes this, sometimes that. But generally speaking, there's one who's better at the confident and one who's better at the humility. There's one who's better at the truth and one who's better at the love. If you're better at the truth, you need to make sure that you make it very safe for the other person and it's your responsibility to get them to share their feelings and to share their story. It's not on them. It's on you. I remember when we, me and Marianne first at the beginning of our marriage. That's what, that's what we were told by Father Bashoy. He was doing like premarital counseling for us. And he told us that she struggles to be assertive. I don't struggle to be assertive. Should be no shock to anybody. So he told me it's my job to make her assertive. It's my job. How do I make her assertive? You can't force it, but you can invite it. And it's my job to lay down a path that she can walk across. And if I don't, Bosses, if you don't make a safe environment for people at your work, husbands, if you don't for your wives, or wives, if you don't for your husband, then you are not a leader. You are a bully if you don't make it safe for the other person. If you feel that you have a right to express yours and your voice is loudest, but you don't give the other person a chance, you're a bully. And that's the true test to see whether or not you really want to solve the situation and you want to resolve it in the best way possible or you just want to win. Look. If I just want to win, I don't want to listen to what she has to say. I just want to win. I just want to say my opinion, that's it. But if I want us to win, I want us to be good. I want us to take the next step. Then I do want to listen to what she has to say. And I need to make it safe for her to do so. Those are the five steps. You want to see what happened with Carol and Bob? Luckily, Carol and Bob have been attending the well for many years. So they heard this message from Father Anthony before this conversation took place. Bob walks in, asks, what's wrong? Carol responds back with, fine, nothing. Well, okay, she says everything's fine. But then she says, okay, you know what? Confidence. And she says, well, you know, I was checking the credit card bill and I found a check, or I'm sorry, a charge 
$48 at the cheap motel down the street. Fact. That's a fact. Started with the fact. I found a charge that said this. Bob responded and said, oh, really? Wonder what that's for. Maybe we can look into it after dinner. Carol, confident, confident Carol, says, well, you know, I'd feel better if we did that right now. I'd feel better if we looked into it now before dinner because it's really bothering me. Bob responds back, says, okay, but it's not even 50 bucks. What's the big deal? Bob is clueless. Carol tells her story now. Carol says, well, you know, it's really not the money. Thing is, it's a motel right down the street. And I'll be honest, my mind's been racing all day to try to figure out why my husband would go to a motel down the street and not tell me. And you know, Bob, watch this, tell the story. That's how my sister found out that her husband was cheating on her. So you see the story now. She has to share the story because Bob is blindsided by this whole thing. But once she shares the story, Bob now understands the severity of the situation. My mind's been racing because of what happened with my sister. Do you have any idea where could this come from? Like, what could this be? Like, I'm trying not to jump to conclusions. What could this be? Asking for his story. Asking for his story. Bob says, I don't know, but I promise you, I ain't cheating on you. I don't know, but I promise I'm not cheating on you. You have nothing to worry about. Carol says, I know that you've given me no reason to doubt you. I know that you've given no reason for me to accuse you of cheating. But I just don't know what else to think. Tentative. See how she's speaking? Tentative. Not accusing. Tentative. Confident, but tentative. So she says, back to being confident, it just might help me to put this to bed now. So what they did, they called the motel, said this charge on this day, we don't remember doing this, and they found out that that same motel, okay, it's like the upstairs, downstairs has a Chinese restaurant, and they went to this Chinese restaurant a long time ago, and they spent $48 at that Chinese restaurant, and what appeared on the credit card bill was the name of the parent company, which is the motel. Problem solved, case closed, disaster avoided, <laughs> all the clothes come back in off the front lawn. Obviously, this was obviously a made-up example, okay, and a very nonsensical and very calculated robotic conversation. I understand that's not real life, and I understand adrenaline gets going, and boom, 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 but I, well, I'll tell you what else I understand, and I'll tell you what I started this series off, and I'll tell you why this series, I, I, why I wanted to talk about this series, and why this is such an important series for me, because I know that when you get to the end of your life, when you get to the end of your life, the majority of the regrets that we have in life deal with conflict mishandled. And I started this series by saying the goal of this series is how to live a successful life. And I define success as no regrets. That I get to that end right there on my deathbed. And I get to right there before I breathe my last breath. And I look back. And I don't say, if only from Carol, I had responded differently when I found that receipt, when Bob came home. If only I hadn't done this to my parents, if I hadn't said this. If only I had a chance to go back and change the way I responded when my boss came at me with this. 
There are too many avoidable regrets in life. And all of them come from relationships and conflict mishandled. So that's why this series to me is the most important thing because we need to get to that side. We need to get to that end and look back and say, you know what? I'm not saying I was best friends with everyone, but I like the way I handled the conflict. I think I handled it in a God-honoring and God-pleasing way. And yes, I may not have peace in all my relationships, but you know what? I got no regrets about the way I handled it. I'll leave you all with this quote right here. I told you all this in the first week. This is a nice thing to remember as we leave. The single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it has taken place. The single biggest problem in communication between a husband and wife who are estranged, parent and child estranged, churches divided. The biggest, biggest illusion is that we actually communicated about what the real problem was. The goal of life is to get to no regrets. And the way we do that is by learning how to handle conflict in a godly way. We don't win at life by avoiding conflict. The one who wins is not the one who had the least conflict in life. It's the one who handled and confronted conflict in the most God-honoring and God-pleasing way. And that, if you want to know what's inside my heart, that is my prayer for every single one of you, that you would learn how to handle conflict in a way that pleases God to avoid the avoidable regrets of life. Let's stand together and say a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for this message that you have given to us, this wake-up call, and maybe we're not handling conflict in the right way. Maybe we are pushing people away, and maybe it's not everyone else's fault. Maybe it's our own fault. I pray that you would help us, as you commanded us to love our neighbors as ourselves, that you would help us, Lord, to really fulfill that command, to love one another as you have loved us with truth, but with mercy, with honesty, but also, Lord, in a, in a merciful and a patient way. Help us to learn how to speak the truth in love and never, never sacrifice one for the other and let it to bear fruit in our marriages, in our friendships, in our church, everywhere, Lord. Let the fruit of, of this truth and love to be evident and let us see that in our lives. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. The prayers of all your saints, Lord, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.